Hey guys, just before we get into it, we would like to acknowledge our podcast partners in Beyond Blue. If you're feeling low, anxious, or need to talk to someone, please contact the people at Beyond Blue. Their phone number is 1300 224 636. You can visit them on the website as well at www.beyondblue.org.au forward slash get support. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and here with me is Sean Lewis, the beautiful Sean Lewis. How are you doing this week, mate? Going well, thanks, John. Not looking too bad yourself. Um, big week in footy. Um, obviously, last week we had our Under Pressure episode, and um, we talked about the top end of the ladder, but we maybe could have done the bottom end based on uh, some of the things that have happened this week. Yeah, well, obviously, the um, the axe has fallen on Brennan Bolton this week. Um, and, I mean, it was probably going to happen. Like, you really don't ever want to be a coach that is coaching a team at the bottom for such a long period of time. And it's a really similar thing to the pressure that the St Kilda footy club are going to be under. Yep. Uh, just because you footy's not a long-term industry, even though the things that he was doing off the field and, and on the field, really, were long-term plays, um, you don't really get the time to be able to do it. So No, and I think like if we had spoken about it last week, we would have actually, we had it listed, Bolton needs wins, and at the end of the day, according to, um, uh, was it Mark uh, Lodge-Gudice, Lodge-Gudice? I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce that name, uh, yeah. he, um, uh, the ultimately... Uh, Brennan Bolton was killed by the lack of wins, um, which, you know, it, it, I mean, it doesn't surprise me in a way. I, I think the timing of it probably shocks me. I would have thought uh, they're better off waiting till the bye, personally. Um, I didn't think he was probably going to make it out of this season, and I think we've said that before. But um, I just, I, there's something in my head, like, just my theory is that. Um, They've now going to change coach. David Teague's going to come in with fresh ideas and everything. Um, they're going to play under him for two weeks, and they'll play. Well, you'd expect them to come out and respond quite strongly. You'd expect um, a bit of wind behind them, um, but then they've got the bye, and and then that makes them flat because we all know that after the bye, generally teams struggle a little bit. So I'm not sure whether they've done it early to try and, uh, I guess. Uh, see if they can get a win or two before the bye, and then you know hopefully that's enough to get them through the end of the season. But uh, I think it's just an odd timing when they you know, and I think even Judd came out and said that they would get to the bye and then assess the the um, the position then. Um, but something changed, and I'm not sure why you'd jump that quickly. But hey, look, you know, um, it's a it's a move for Carlton and. I think Bolton, unfortunately, you know, was given a, a very big task, and he did a, a good job, in my opinion. I mean, 52 list changes in four years under him, and coaching a new team, changing on average, you know, 25 to 30 percent every year, is a, is a tough task for any coach to do. And and real realistically, um, they traded away Bryce Gibbs, they traded away um, picks, they traded away everything to get talent in. Um, they went after, you know, some offcuts from GWS. They went after some established stars, and unfortunately, it just hasn't quite come together. But that that um, that kind of uh, long-term vision that he's done, I think, will, will definitely um, hold them well into the future. But it's going to—it's still three or four years away from from really contending. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest thing is that I th- I agree with you. I think that he was making long-term moves. Um, generally, I think that there was a couple of short-term moves in there, not necessarily super short-term, like as in trading away pick for shield, which is what they were trying to do, but trying to, um, like as in the stocker trade is getting a pick this year. It's just not, not being patient enough to wait for a high draft pick next year. Um, like no, the, but that's the pressure. That's the impatience of pressure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I would just I look at what um, some of the other clubs have done um, and I think that they've been even more impatient so I think that the Blues have done a fairly good job at remaining uh, patient and given that generally the coach is the first to fall in this scenario and not the list manager uh, I think that Brennan Bolton did a really good job not to demand uh, more 
senior players, uh, more ready-made senior players coming in uh, to help him keep his job. So. And, I, and I think he, the way he exited as well was just class. I think um, this year we've seen two coaches leave before the buys after an unprecedented year last year where there was no coach movement. Um, and both those coaches have left with absolute dignity um, and class. Um, I really, really, really loved um, Brennan Bolton's last press conference. I thought he absolutely he nailed it in what would have been an extraordinarily difficult circumstance. I, I don't think he probably expected the axe to come that quick. He might have expected it around the buy time again. Um, but I, I felt that he his press conference, much like um, Brad Scott's before him, was was just absolutely superb. But you've um, you've kind of hinted at probably the next person at the Blues who's going to cop a fair bit of heat. And um, I guess every week without wins and the fact that they're two games clear at the bottom um, and the trade that you talked about was the Stocker trade and that's Soss Silvani who made the trade. Yep. And and we, you know, uh, he has to come under some pressure. Four years with this list and look, at, Gold Co- at, sorry, at GWS, he turned the lifts over, he went hard at the draft, he did all the same things he's kind of done with Carlton um, and picked up some recycled players and everything. But, the lack of success from quite a few of the recycled GWS players is probably one of the biggest blotches on the record for me. Um, it's it. that that's that is the biggest blotch on the record. Full stop. Like a, that, you can all everyone suffers from um, sunk costs or at least some level of sunk cost where you don't want to um, if you're drafted a player you don't want to be the one that delists them because you feel like you've invested so much in them you invested the pick cost as well as everything else but he he's had that effect happen at two clubs now where he's drafted them at one club where they haven't been successful enough to be clear best 22 players and then he's traded picks from a new club to get those same players back and too many of them have just flopped like uh Pickett is a really good example Pickett hasn't looked up to being an AFL player in in any games he's ever played, and he he probably should feel the axe this year um, as far as list moves go. But they're like you think about Kennedy, I don't know if he actually drafted Kennedy, um, but Kennedy and Setterfield are both looking slow, and I know that Setterfield is a different player to the one that was drafted, but they they really look to be I mean GWS look really smart in all of this as in they look to be going okay then these players we've seen them for two years and we know that they're not in their best 22 let's sell them to Carlton Carlton will buy them um, we'll get some second round picks back in and we'll go back to the draft um, and they've been able to continually add players over that time whereas Carlton have continually added players that they eventually go on to delist yeah and I mean like a, you know there's some great examples there um, pick seven for Yatch, Wiley, and pick 19. Yeah. Um, which 19 was Blaine Bokehurst. And I think that was I think that was his first year, potentially. Yeah, it was. It was Malthouse um, at the helm. And trading for Yatch, I mean... He was a pick 12. Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, I understand the reasons behind it, but you can really... Like, in a lot of cases, not, not all cases, but say 90% of cases... You can see whether a player is going to be has got what it takes to be an AFL player within their first two years, based on how many times they play in the best twenty-two. Midfielders really should be able to establish themselves as best twenty-two in the end of their second year. Yeah. So, and then I guess key position players you can give a little bit more leeway to, but even then, GWS were happy to let these players go. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is with when you actually sit back and look at their their kind of draft history. Like, they're very good at picking early. Um, like, a lot of their early picks have turned out to be successful. Yeah, well, um, Samo is killing it. I mean, I love him. I think that... You know that I love Fisher. I think that he's going to be an All-Australian player. Mm. Um, Sam Walsh this year, obviously, is an absolute jet. But um, but then there's some, like... Outside of picking, picking in the early rounds, they're not... They haven't had a huge amount of success. So you've got, like... Blaine Bokehurst, Dylan Viojo, Rainbow, Clem Smith, Jaden Foster. Like, they're their four draft yeah. picks it's in 2014. Zero, yeah. And you've got, a, you know, a grand total of, what's that, 
30 games out of them. Yeah, they're not there anymore. Then the following year, they got Wiedering, fine. McKay, great pick. Kerno, great pick. Dave Cunningham, he's looking pretty yep, yeah, all right. Jack Silvani is a father-son. I mean, I'm not sold on him. He seems to be doing all right with the move to the midfield, but um, I think he's going to become depth. It's re- Sorry, like, this is one of the hardest things, but list managing... <coughs> sorry. List managing your son must be a bitch. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of anything worse than having to list manage a family member because you cannot be objective about them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, but then you go to the next draft, and they've got Sam Petrovsky seaton who's who had a poor year last year, but it's come good again this year. Yep. Zach Fisher, who's who's going to be a Jet. Harrison McCready, I mean, he's got something there. Yeah. I think he just needs a bit more size. Cam Polson, Tom Williamson, um, yeah, not. I'm not sure they'll they'll make it. Um, and then Cam Polson won't make it. Yeah, I can tell you now. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, 2017, you know, again, nail the first two, Dow and O'Brien. I mean, um, O'Brien I've got some question marks on, but I think he'll still be an AFL player. Um, Tom DeConning looks all right. Angus Schumacher doesn't look like he'll make it either. But, I mean, like, just going through that history, you know, when they've picked early, they've picked really well. Um, they took the punt on Charlie Curno when other teams were running away. Um you know, picking picking big uh, big Harry was great choice. So like, and and we said it last year in the analysis, their spine is fantastic. They've got a spine for the future. Maybe a ruckman issue, but but I mean, you're a person that believes that you can find a ruck any time anyway. So yeah. Um, and then they've got the midfield. They've got Walsh now. They've got Crip Crips in there as well. Stocker will eventually move into the midfield. Ideally, you'd probably have wanted to take Raul or Anderson this year. That's that's probably the big one. You would want Anderson really to complement their existing midfield. Yep. You have and you have your big strong midfielder in Cripps. You got your running midfielder in Walsh, and then you have an explosive goal kicking midfielder in Anderson, who's um, also big and hulking as well. Exactly, much, much like yeah, Cripps. Yeah, a lot like Cripps. He's just more explosive and faster. Yeah. Um, so. You have add another absolute jet to that mix, um, and I know that there's no sure things in the draft. But the top, the higher you get to the top, the closer to sure things you get, yeah. um, especially and with midfielders. And I think like every like we're analysing this in hindsight, and it's fair to say like everything's easier in hindsight. And you know, Sauce's intention the whole time is not to to ever um, put Carlton in a bad position. He's only ever making moves to put Carlton in a better position. Um, unfortunately, in hindsight, they don't look great, some of them. Uh, some of them look fine, but the pressure just has to be there now. Um, it's four or five years in charge of that list. Um, you've turned over 50 players. It's definitely your list, and and the team has gone downhill, um, especially since the Gibbs trade. Yep. Um, and realistically, they until they turn it around, that heat is just going to be burning on him, and... I mean, look, if Bolton's out the door, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Silvani follow him at the end of the season. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, I'm just even thinking about one last thing, which is that they were afforded uh, the priority access to mature age players last year. Which they traded. Which they traded for draft picks and younger players and assets Mm. that they could trade. Again, a long-term move. Yeah, but when you're thinking about trying to actually improve the list... if they could have cracked a Marty Hall type in with one of those selections, they could have had Marty Hall exactly. Rather than giving them away, um, they they could they could be moving up faster. I think that um, imagine if they were taking Sam Collins. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there are players. There are players there um, that were definitely good enough to be in Carlton's best twenty-two that weren't selected. And I remember a couple of years back they were saying that. It's like, you know, they had to make selections to fill the list. Like, as in, that's why they had Aaron Mullet, Loby, and maybe why Jared Lamb got another contract. But if you're taking some punts on guys like your Marty Hawes, like um, Gone Blank, Maya Checks, and mm. all of these types of players, even if you take three punts and one of them pays off, it's better than bringing on three players that you know aren't good enough. Yeah. So... 
Yeah, you're right. He's under pressure. Um, I mean, the other players that are under pressure probably now are just the senior players. Yeah. Um, a couple of injury-prone players. I mean, Murphy's hardly strung a season together in the last couple of years. Um, and Cruiser is the other one. So Daisy Thomas is also under a bit of pressure. And obviously he had the three or four glasses of wine um, incident which got him dropped. Um, yeah. I mean, look, like, I think anyone over the age of about 26 is probably under pressure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Simpson, you know, champion player, still best 22, but um, the question is, do can they afford to keep relying on him so heavily? Yeah. Um, and I'd probably say not, um, but they get Doherty back next year, which helps, and... Yeah, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot there that they can work with, and I, and I still think that the list isn't in a bad shape. It's just it's not it's not built for success in the next two three years. Like I could see them in two years climbing up to maybe twelfth or or eleventh, um, and then potentially even the following year, you know, having that push at the finals. Um, and eventually, I think they will have a Brisbane this year type season where they it just all clicks and they go. Yep. Um, but. That that time is is in a few years. It's not it's not even close to now. And realistically, I think they need to keep the senior players because as long as they can keep them on the park, yep. Um, because they're they're the ones that have got to shoulder the load from the young kids. Um, and they just need to find some bloody help for Crips. Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, really, Setterfield and Kennedy need to come a long way in twelve months. Yeah, in twelve months' time. They need to be both best 22 players that are pushing over other midfielders with their strength and size, which they both have. So let's see how they go. Um, Gold Coast. So Gold Coast are probably one of the teams that aren't really under pressure. Um, Well, they had the slate wipe clean last year. Yeah. So they had, like, new coach was, what, a year? This is his second year. This is his second year. Um, So new coach, new list manager, um, they had new everything, a new footy, ma- a new footy manager, new anything that you can have new, um, and they're showing signs. So I think that that as far as a club goes, no one's really unhappy with Gold Coast at the moment. Um, they've definitely been very competitive in a lot of games as well. Yep. They're playing. Well, they could, they should have beaten Melbourne. We stole that one. Yeah, they're playing um, Sydney style football. Yep. Um And obviously that's where Ju uh, did his tutorage. So. It wouldn't surprise me to see them continue playing that style of football, and um, as the um, as the top end of that club start getting better, um, especially the the young talls. Um, so they're putting games into them, but at the moment they just look like baby deer. Um, yeah, with the exception of Wright, they do. Yeah, Wright's Wright's twenty four or twenty five now, yeah. but when you look at Lacocious and Ben King, they're both just all arms and legs. Um, but it's good because I think. I think you can see with... And this is probably the criticism against the Blues. Like, Gold Coast have been up, down, up, down. They just have never quite got it right. Um, they wipe the slate and they... They are pu- all... We spoke about it a while ago. Like, everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction. Mm. Um, and it feels like Gold Coast have that at the moment. Um, for how long, you don't know. Um, but everything's pulling in the right direction. There's a clear plan... They're getting games into the young. They're following effectively the Melbourne model. Um, back in you know, 2014 when Ruse came in yep. again Sydney. So, you know, defence first, focus on the percentage, and their percentage is you know 76 percent at the moment, doing quite well. Um, yeah, they're also playing footy that um, protects their bottom six players in their best 22, yeah. um, and that that's what a lot of the more defensive style teams play like, especially when you look at Fremantle. They're a side that, uh, and Gold Coast I'm talking about now as well, they're sides that develop a game plan around making sure their bottom six aren't exposed and then try to let their best six fit into that rather than going, let's build a game plan that suits our best six um, and then see how everyone else fits in. And um, It seems to be working at the moment, um, especially while they're building up that bottom part of their list. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think they're too many under pressure. Not like it, uh, that good old... Down at Demon Land, mate. Down at the Demon Land. Which is exclusively pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is what happens when expectations get set. Um, you, you feel the heat. So um, I'm going to probably jump a few of these, and, and I've got a new one to add to this after the um, the goal kicking on the weekend. But 
just full stop. Whoever, if Melbourne don't have a kicking coach, then or a coach responsible for um, players kicking and learning to kick under pressure, then that goal um, or oh, anything like just hitting a target in thirty meters would be a good start, and then from there. If they haven't got a coach that's responsible for that, then there's um, a clear question mark in my mind as to the adequacy of the coaching group. They have, and, mate. It's uh, Travis Clark, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so good luck. <laughs> and then um, if we do, um, you know, like what's the focus? Because, I mean, for there, there's a couple of things with Melbourne in terms of pressure, but um, just at the moment, we've been... We've, Apart from the GWS game, probably last month, we haven't been too bad. Um, we should have... I think the expected goals for... Um, the expected score lines for the game against Adelaide on the weekend based on difficulty of shot was was something like 107 to, to 75 or something. Like, Melbourne should have won by six goals. And yet, we've gone and lost it by a goal or whatever we lost by. And I think I turned it off. I stormed out. I was too pissed off. <laughs> and, and it was... It's just that that kicking for goal, like from the point where we were like 31 points up, we kicked one goal 11. The Crows kicked nine goals two. So you've got 11 shots to 12, and we've managed to kick one 11. Yeah. Like, how the fuck does that work? Like, it just, it baffles me. Um, it, it's it's quite poor. So I think in a lot of ways, like the players, like, you know, um, Gorney and Wiedemann and stuff will be the ones remembered for missing the shots late in the game but you know we had drop marks in front of goal from yeah. Jeff Garlett we had I think, Tim Smith missed one I think and, one of the things that we know from um, what most people know from watching football over a long period of time there isn't a single more important time in the game all times of the game are as important as any other yeah. so someone kicks an easy goal that they like in that last quarter, as you said, Jeff Garlett dropped a mark on the goal line. Yeah, effectively would have turned around, definitely kicked the goal, and yeah. then he fumbled it. And that's things like that happen all the way through the game that Melbourne really needs to tidy up to make sure that when it gets down to the crunch, you're in front by two goals rather than in front by eight points or six yeah. points or five points, whatever it was. And then on top of that, you've just you've just got the defensive game plan. So uh, from my understanding is that. Um, McCartney moved back into a more coaching role. He was kind of in a more supportive director of coaching and development role last year. Yeah. This year he's moved into more of a, a coaching focused role. When you say um, supporting, you mean supporting the coaches, yes. not the players. Well, both. I yeah. think he was development he's responsible for development of both coaches and players. So I think that was his title. He's better so, when he's not directing players directly. Well, I don't. I'm not going to make comment on that. Mate. That's, that's your own opinion. Um, but yeah, McCartney and um, I believe he's him and um, maybe Rawlings or uh, maybe not Rawlings, whoever the defensive coach is, Chaplin, or they're responsible for our defensive game plan. And um, to be blunt, it's an absolute shambles. Uh, it's it's awful. So the parts that I really get frustrated about watching, and, and and you see it with a lot of teams, but it's obviously the most frustrating with your own. But we're playing a zone-style defense or a web or whatever the hell they want to call this year's Clarko's clusters and, you know, couldn't care less what they want to call it. But effectively, it's a zone defense where you roll back and trap. So you try and trap them to one side and you block the kick down the line. All that happened last week was we allowed the kick to the pocket on a kick out, um, which is fine if you pin the ball that side of the ground. Yeah. But then they were able... Adelaide knew that as soon as they got that kick to the pocket to move it quickly and to move it towards the middle of the ground because Melbourne would see the kick go right. If you're looking down the ground, they'd see the kick go right. They'd collapse across to the right and set up the, the zone down there. If they quickly got it back onto, like, maybe not the centre of the ground, but just in, like, yeah, towards yeah, the edge of the square. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, 40 metres out from Melbourne's goal and um, on the... 45 angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from there... All I had to do was have one player sitting out on the left-hand side, punt it out there, let them run onto it, and you're off to the races. Because the zones collapsed all the way across, and there's no one there, and they just swoop around the outside, and off they went. And Adelaide did that. I reckon GWS did it the week before, and Adelaide did it last week, and it just frustrated the hell out of me. And and that defensive game plan seems to get... We seem to get caught out a lot with guys in transition. So guys 
for for a team that when we play opposition we have a low play on percentage but they have I would love to see the stat that took like how quickly they move the ball from when they take a mark rather than playing on being that like if they took the mark took two steps and kicked it I'd love to see that stat because I think in, in Melbourne's case we get sliced apart by teams who like high possession and short 45 kicks um, because our zone isn't quick enough to move with it so the amount of times you see players, what I say, caught in transition, which is trapped between the lines. So if your full forward line is meant to be across the half forward line and your half forward line is meant to be across the kind of the centre of the ground, too often those guys are being caught transitioning to the centre of the ground and the ball's going over their head and they're chasing tail the whole way down the ground. And it's just it's it's a it's just awful to watch. So the the fast kick outs, the six 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 the, the game plan has just been screwed by it. And then on top of that, we don't play a sweeper like Hawthorne do. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, I'm getting probably too deep into the analysis, but it just it frustrates me. And whoever's responsible for it, um, based on what I understand, I'm led to believe that it's McCartney and our defensive coach. Whoever they are, the pressure's right on them because it is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, they need to sort it out for sure. Um, I mean, the only one from a playing perspective... Um, is potentially Sam Frost and, and, and Oscar McDonald probably and Oscar McDonald and Oscar McDonald has just been dropped and I mean we were saying this last year when they went and got um, Sam May it was it was this was the reason they went and got Sam May because Sam Frost and Oscar McDonald were, weren't much chop um, they, they, they 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 can do they can do a job but yeah. they're definitely going to be bottom six in your best twenty two type players that you need to have someone or at least one player but. Potentially, now you're going to be having Lever and May coming in this weekend. Yeah. But two players that can protect them, so they can mm. take the second best key forward, and you'll have an intercepting player sweeping in front of them. So and Hall, and Hall comes back in as well. So, yeah, exactly. You know, you've got another one. You got you got a lot more protection around um, that can actually allow these players just to focus on their role. But instead, um, both of them have been tasked with stepping up and taking the one and two yep. with next to no intercepting player or a sweeper, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and they've been sort of found out a little bit. I mean, yeah. Frost has probably found some admirers um, because of the way that he's tried to take on the game. But unfortunately, mistakes at key times of, in those games has made them... Yeah. yeah. So he kind of he won us the Gold Coast game just with his attack and, and perseverance at the ball, which is what you love him for. But then... You know, you also probably watch that game, and he costs us two goals. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's the good and the bad. And I, I like Frosty and Oscar; like they've got their roles. But yeah, probably before we move on, there's only one more, um, and that's the the fitness stuff. I know Dave Misson's moving on this year. Um, it'll be key for whoever comes in to replace him. Um, I have personally big question marks about the way we handled the injuries and the surgeries. Um, we had a lot of players, obviously. Um, go out for surgery at the end of last year after our run, which is good, you know, like we went for it and, and this is the consequence. But, you know, the fact that we played Jordan Lewis, Jack Finey, um, and quite a few, uh, there's, there's about four other players we played without any pre-season practice games or anything. And like it's shown, the whole season they look like they're chasing. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, if you're going to be, pushing blokes like that and they're not going to be performing at the level they need to then you should just let them sit at the sidelines play with the VFL and get themselves to you know 95% fit yep. before you bring them back in and and that's just to me that's the obvious answer is you know you're putting an unfit player a 70% Jack Viney instead of playing you know, 100% Tom Sparrow. I know that Tom Sparrow is probably... 100% Tom Sparrow is probably not as good as a 70% Jack Viney, but we don't want a 70% Jack Viney because yeah. the risk is he gets injured again yep. or he can't perform and then the confidence is down and it's not good for the other players in the team. And there's It's been the big thing is that, that lack of confidence that's come from this lack of fitness um, is mm. that the early losses um, and the, the way that the losses were... Um, building up we're building and the fact that the players that you normally go to rely on like your Tom McDonald's and your Jack Vineys these types of players that couldn't perform because they hadn't had that pre-season and that depth of uh, fitness people didn't know where to look and it really has crumbled Melbourne's season and 
Um, from now, they should just take a um, leaf out of the 2011 Demons book and tank the rest of the season out. And um, um, I believe you'll find it was uh, 2000 and... 2008. Sorry, I'm thinking about potentially when the fines started coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, but we didn't tank, mate. Never. Yeah, you did. Um, we never tanked. And... What are you talking about? <laughs> it's never never tanked, you know, never did anything wrong. You know. I know. Yeah, yeah. Just, just don't... Just, just don't don't tank. Just t- take the rest of this. Make sure that these players that had surgeries are fit for next year, which might mean some time on the sidelines. And Smart management. Mate. Yeah, Smart yeah. management. Um, if you can manage to slip a win behind Gold Coast and get in Noah Anderson... Um, that would be lovely. I think that you guys will be very happy. It'll be like... Um, who was it? Early. Collingwood 2005? Five. Yeah, for the priority pick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We slipped out. We slipped down and get Dale Thomas and Scott Pendlebury. Yeah, uh, that would be the smart way to do it. And then we'll come straight back up. Thank you, very uh, much. Thank you very much, Abe. Same Bell. as same as West Coast classic. Yeah, there's plenty of teams that grand have grand final. Yep, <laughs> Nick Nat Nui. Done. Um, <laughs> so now we're moving on to the City Swans. Um, yep. The Swans are sort of, um, they would have felt the pressure really heavily on them at the start of the year, but are starting to come a little bit off the pressure now. Just they're getting some wins. They're looking more like they're competitive selves. And it's no surprise, even though he's not up to his full strength yet, that Buddy um, is back in the side and it's sort of helping everyone. He commands a best, the best defender. He always does. So he's helping the rest of their forwards to create space and to score um, just with his presence, so he's having a huge impact. Um, but still, he's under a lot of pressure personally because obviously he's getting to the point where his physical, um, his physical and uh, footballing self is is starting to degrade, um, and he's still got years left on this long contract. So mm. I think he's going to be feeling the pressure of the fact that. The Swans are going to have to deal with his contract regardless of whether he retires or not in the next couple of years yep. um, and that they haven't got a flag and they're not really in the window anymore. So, Yeah, that's the that's the hard thing. They paid the big price and they rolled the dice for it, which is which was their entitlement and it was a good thing for them to do. Um, unfortunately, they, uh, they didn't get it. They didn't get that flag and he's starting to get a lot more injured. So I think... You know, there's a lot of pressure on him, um, probably not so much internally, but externally, um, to see out his contract and and to play the way Buddy plays. But, you know, eventually everyone gets old and I I worry about, you know, the next three years or three years or four years. Um, I reckon it might be four. Yeah, so I wonder about the next four years and where he gets to with his body and, and all that stuff and, you know, I mean, it's tough, like, because he's a champion player and oh, like, I'd, I'd love to see him win another Coleman and play a big season and I'd be, I reckon he's still got one more big one in him, but, yeah, he's just, he's starting to show his age a bit like, uh, a bit like Ruffy. Yeah, I'd be, um, I would be happy for them to give him an easier season, as in rest him a couple of times and don't let his body get so beat up so that he doesn't have to have surgery and he can get right for a pre-season and... Mm. And actually have a whack at it because one of the things that Buddy has always been is athletic and physically dominant. Um, he's never been like a stand in the goal square, take marks, kick goals type of player where you sort of feel like an injured Josh Kennedy, you can park him in the goal square and he's still going to kick two and three and be a threat. Whereas mm. Buddy doesn't have that. So I really reckon that they need to um, treat him more like Nick Rewalt and give him the time to get his running right and, and make sure that he can be a running threat next year yep um, probably the other ones at Sydney um, Tom Harley and Kinnear Beetson um, I guess the challenge for them is they've got to turn over this list quite quickly to avoid a, a big bottom out um, a lot of their key players are now 31 and over so um, realistically uh, they've got rid of they've moved on Hanabry and Grundy's um, just retired Grundy's retired um, they've got J, JPK, they've got um, obviously Buddy. McVeigh. McVeigh. So, you know, there's just a lot of older guys. Um, and look, like they've got some good youth. Uh, they've got some, some good-looking young players. I mean, Tom McCartan looks like he'll be a pretty handy player. Um, 
full fit Sam Reed is a great thing for them. Yeah, Blake is playing pretty good footy. Blake is um, playing nice footy. They've obviously got Heaney if they can get him uninjured, and Mills. Mills and, is a fine half back back pocket. Um, and then you've also, you know, Luke Park is not that old. No, he's not. He'd be twenty six, maybe. Twenty. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, like I, I think that I think that they've there's enough there that they could avoid a big bottom out. Um, but they're going to have to get pretty smart with their list. And, and especially they've got to manage it around the Godfather contract to Buddy as well. So they've got to manage the money and, you know, uh, guys like Heaney and, and Mills as they come out of contract are going to be demanding more money, uh, yeah. especially Heaney. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they manage it. They've got they've managed to clear a lot of salary cap space now. So I think they're probably going to be in a reasonably good position to be able to um, pay a lot of their players. But... Um, I mean, what happens without JPK? Like he carries them in so many games. Yeah, like, no. I mean, I'd be. Um, I I think I'll really enjoy watching these guys um, over the last the next couple of years because I, I, although they are under pressure to make sure that they do it right, um, having constraints like a buddy contract is also an opportunity to think about it over a period of time. As in, if there's this year and three more after that then you might go, okay, we're going to attack the draft for the next three years. Because mm-hmm. Knowing that we can keep our costs down by having players that are constrained yep. and can't get pay rises. Uh, and then at the very end of that, we'll be able to pay all of the ones that are ready more. Yep. And we'll be in a position, we'll have Heaney and Mills and stuff like that. will be 26, 27 and ready to challenge for a grand final again. So yep. Absolutely. Um, they've and, just yeah, got to think about it. And they've got history. Like Harley and B... Well, Especially Beatson. I mean, he's a he's a bit of a genius um, recruiter. So, um, I mean, they've got a lot of they've got a great track record of being able to um, find the diamonds in the rough. Like they're one of the biggest teams at finding good rookies. Yeah. Um, a lot of those were New South Wales rookies, but still, nonetheless, you got to find them and, and develop them. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, Swans are going to be a fascinating one for us to look at over the next few years, so looking forward to that. Um, Talk to us about North. Yeah, well, North uh, obviously uh, released the pressure a little bit as well with the coach going, Um, so that always helps, and then um, they've actually been in reasonable form since that announcement, winning two games, um, the first game with Reshore as coach and the last game with Scott as coach as well, so I mean... They are under pressure. I mean, they're under pressure from a whole structural perspective because both their list uh, is not balanced. Um, it's not that it doesn't have talent on it. It's just that it's not uh, even. Uh, there's gaps in the list um, where they probably still need to fill, uh, I'd say probably between guys between the age of 20 and, say, 24 Yep. That are they're really talented and they're going to be that next wave of players. They really need to target some of those guys in the coming year, um, and I mean that's going to put the pressure onto someone like Cameron Joyce um, to make sure that everything goes right. And I made mean, a lot of off-season acquisitions as well, and I guess some of them are playing out all right. I think that they're getting more than they thought they would have got out of someone like a Pittard, yeah. um, who really, besides his um, non lethal kicking he, his um his actual general gameplay has been pretty good and yep. um Pollock is starting to improve as well as North do absolutely but I mean then the other two Hall and Tyson they've played collectively nine games between them yep um both back in the VFL I think Tyson got injured so he's just coming back but classic Tyson yeah but I mean for those two guys as well their careers are on the line I'm not sure what type of contracts they got um I'm not sure. I think Tyson might have got a multi-year deal, potentially. Um, but realistically, it's it's time for them both to... They're both good footballers, and at their best, they're best 22 footballers in, in AFL, especially at North Melbourne. But, you know, they've got to do the right things by the team, and it's time to, for them to force their way in. So they'll, they'll be feeling a bit of heat. Um, but probably the biggest one, and it happens every time you sack a coach, um, we didn't talk about it with Carlton, but... Naturally, Carlton will be feeling the same thing, but the board um, will... They, they basically just have to get it right. Yeah. Um, North Melbourne aren't a club that can sustain long-term periods at the bottom. 
because they don't have a huge fan base. Um, so they really do need to have success, and that's what's been good for them over the last two decades. You know, they've got, uh, they, you know, the end of the 90s, they had a few flags. They had that group of champions that carried them to multiple, multiple finals. Um, and, you know, basically apart from probably the last two years, they've, they've been really, really good and they've performed well. Um, but, yeah, now now the board's going to be under a lot of pressure to find a good coach who can take who can take a little bit of a rebuild for maybe one or two years and then turn this list into a finals contender pretty damn quickly. Yeah, I agree, mate. Um, Western Bulldogs, the Western Bulldogs, uh, I mean, they've been under pressure since they won a premiership, really. Yep. Um, they, they won early and it sort of threw everything into disarray and then... I reckon they've been a bit unlucky since then um, with guys retiring that they thought might they might get a couple more years out of, um, other guys being injured, uh, and then they've also had a bit of, I don't know, from the outside it looks like potentially disenfranchised players. Um, and mo- moving on, Dowhouse, obviously back to his regular self when he's down at Geelong, um, but couldn't seem to find a place um, in the Western Bulldogs side. He was playing, but he wasn't playing well. Yep. Um, and Libba is a big one this year because obviously he only got a one-year deal, so he's still a free agent and clubs can come and poach him. Um, and he's sort of playing a bit, a bit, little bit all over the place at the moment, but yep. he's impacting, so I think that they need to sign him quickly and take the pressure off. Yeah, look, I think um, at the start of the season, the pressure was on Libba with a one-year deal. Um, you know, not a lot of faith in his body and maybe some off-field incidents potentially. Um, but he's playing best 22 football. He should be re-signed, give him a two-year deal, um, just get it done. But um, I think with in terms of what you're saying, where he's been thrown all over the shop, it's it's kind of been Bevo this year. Like, he's, he's, um, he's been throwing guys left, right and centre. So he's put, like... You know, Dunkley's played forward one week, midfield the next, um, Libba the same thing. My favourite one was when he had uh, their best key back playing in the forward line, obviously, you know, Aaron Norton. Yeah, and he's still there. Then they had their key... For, they, they had their backup ruck playing as a key forward, yep. and they had their other backup ruck playing as a key back, and they had their key back playing in the ruck. Yeah. It was great. It was one of those things where it's like, what is happening? Yep, pretty much. And and that's the that's the thing. So, I mean, the next one under pressure from them has to be Bevo. Um, that premiership goodwill is starting to wear off. Uh, a lot of our doggy friends are starting to talk, you know, a little bit more negatively about him, um, you know, saying that uh, I guess that... Um, I guess the performance isn't up to scratch. Like a team that's won a flag, how the hell do they miss finals for what's probably going to be three years running? Um, and that's really the big the big question. Um, Sorry, guys. If you hear a snake bag moving in the background, we, um, I realise that Sean and I are pretty tired on a Friday afternoon after some, a long week of work and needed to inject some sugar into the mix. So like the coaches and the players, we brought some lolly snakes in and yeah. we'll get ourselves some glucose. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess Bevo's under pressure just because that goodwill that you generate after the flag um, is probably it is starting to wear off. So I think naturally this this year may be fine, but next year will be a real big pressure um, building on him if they can't perform. Yeah, well, I mean, they've had draft picks. So they've gone back and brought in players through the draft and they've got players... They drafted well. They have, and they've got players in their like low to mid twenties that are starting to play brilliant football, like McRae, Bonson, Pally, some of the best midfielders in the competition. So they really need to start turning that um, turning that list into a winning list um, and, and quickly. We should have got these in a bowl. Yeah, that would have been smart. Too bad <laughs> people can just love it. Um, Essendon, uh, Essendon have been under pressure pretty much since um, the drug scandal as well. Um, well yep. the, so, I mean, the coach that they chose at that time was Wusher, and I think that was the right choice. Yep. Um, he really helped them to steady the ship, to bring everyone on board, to help re-sign everyone. Uh, but they're still struggling to uh, 
show themselves as a, a real top eight team. Um, and because of that, Wusher is going to be under a bit of a threat to uh, potentially lose his job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's always going to. He's always been under pressure there. Um, Essendon fans were quite bullish coming off the the back of uh, the suspensions um, and saying that, oh, look how many good players we get back. They probably didn't get all the players back and probably didn't understand the impact of a year out would have. Yeah. Um, and that's fair enough. I don't think anyone has ever seen collectively, you know, half of this to be put on hiatus for a year. Yeah. Um, okay, good, good. Dump them on the ground. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> John's just gone and put them all on the table to make life easy so we're not <laughs> rattling the bag. Anyway, but yeah, so, I mean, for Wusher, you know, the, the pressure was on from 2016. Um, and then, obviously, a couple of big trades, um, bringing in Stringer, bringing in Devin Smith, who's unfortunately done his knee. Sard. Sard, playing very well. Um, and now Dylan Shield. So, you know, the pressure's on. They've got to, they've got to execute. But I think a lot like last year, they're probably... Um, going to come good in the back half of the season because it takes that long to get Dylan Shield up to speed um, and he's a big change for them um, what's really positive for them is they've got a really strong percentage so they're, they're sitting at 97% um, percent or oh, I can't remember, after the weekend's game it's probably up around 100 um, we've, sorry we've got last week's data in front of us but um, yeah I really think that for Essendon um and for Wusher, he needs to make finals. That's the that's the hurdle for them this year. And um, otherwise, he will probably be, be losing his job. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so as well. And I think that they'll potentially look at Brad Scott. Brad Scott is a, seems to be a reasonably proven coach with um, senior footballers that are trying to push for a premiership. So yep. um, it wouldn't be a bad option if they do that. The other one is um, Big Joe Danaher. He's probably the best young forward in the competition two years ago and hasn't been able to get his body right since then. Um, I was pretty sure that he's already been ruled out for the year now. Yep. So um, it's another year of his prime wasted for him, um, but he just needs to make sure that he gets over. If it's OP, get over OP and come back at full full strength next preseason. Um, probably better that he's been ruled out early rather than dragging on for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think they've learned their lesson with him that if he's got these... Um I guess, uh, condition-type injuries or um, repeat-type injuries. They just need to put him out to pasture, let him get right, and then bring him back. So hopefully they stopped it before it got too bad and that he can come back pretty strong. Um, but, yeah, uh, he's just got to get right. Yep. Saints. Um, under the Saints. So the Saints... Um the Saints are actually going okay. I mean, their percentage, oh, their, percentage, the month. their percentage isn't great, and they've dropped off a little bit, but I'd say that's more to do with leadership um, than anything else. They had Geary out, and I think Geary's probably going to be out again for an extended period. Um, possibly the season. Yep. Um, so that, that, that's always going to be hard for them, and um, they brought in Hanabry to help with leadership. He hasn't played a game yet, um, although he's been playing VFL. And, Just played his first game back last yep. week. Yep. So he might uh, might Two be weeks. in the frame in the next couple of weeks, um, potentially after their buy to slot in. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they will get there, and I mean, Hanbury is one of the ones that's under pressure just because that. I mean, he was more under pressure probably eight weeks ago when he wasn't playing, and it was round two, mm. um, and everyone was expecting him to be right by the time the season started. Um, but I think everyone's. I think he just needs to come back and play footy. Um, well, he looked very, very good, apparently, in the VFL. Okay. Uh, but well, that makes uh, sense. He's a very good player. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I guess the hope is that he's got his body right. But I still think he's going to be under pressure because it's kind of been built up in a way. So, you know, waiting 13 games or something for your first game, um, I think naturally he's probably going to be under a lot of pressure. Um I think a lot of his teammates are going to be looking for him to, to deliver. Um, and, yeah, I guess I think that he will be fine. And I think the pressure will come off the moment he plays a good game. But I've liked the way St Kilda have handled him. They've they've taken the time to get him get his body right. They've been very clear. We're not rushing him when, you know, they said he'd be back by round four. 
then you know had a little minor setback or something wasn't right they pushed it right out to round eight and then you know still said yep he's not right we're gonna wait another you know like they've just done a really good job um but that said he's probably gonna walk in and be one of their best players so they need to get him on the park yeah Completely agree, and I mean, Richo is another one of these coaches that's under pressure. There seems to be a few of them, um, yep. and really, it's just because they expected with the list that they had two years ago to be challenging for finals now, mm-hmm. and they probably traded in order to make sure that happened. Yeah. Um, to be fair to them, though, they, like, I mean, I think that they were potentially they lost the leaders, um, which we've spoken about before, um, and they're just starting to turn it around now. So I think that. He could get a year contract extension. Um, uh, otherwise, they might move him on. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, he, he's a hard coach to read. Um, he's not necessarily very expressive um, in the in the media, and we mm. haven't we haven't had a whole lot out of St Kilda regarding where he's going to go. But um, look, I think I think if they finish tenth or eleventh, like he could easily keep his job. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, but I think if they end up in that bottom six again. It's it's fork like he's done. Yep. Um, and it's it's unfortunate to say because um, I don't think the list strategy helped them. Yep. And and we've spoken about that in great detail. So um, unfortunately, you can see the linkage through all this of, of the list strategy and the coaching. You know, if they're not connected or if if the wrong decisions made, um, the impacts on the team. Um, and I think in a lot of I think a lot of reasons why globally in sports outside of football you find that there is a um, like a, a the general like the manager in in um, soccer or the GM in basketball who's responsible for both the coaching and the the list management. So you know it's the kind of person that the head coach and the list recruiting guys report into yep. um, and they're purely focused on on-field performance and managing that list and that's the clear direction that, that filters down the way AFL works is you have um, you do have a football manager who seems to basically have those guys report into him but it's more of an operational role in terms of support rather than a directional role yeah exactly it's like it feels like in a lot of clubs that the head coach sits above the football manager yep. in all but role, um, like in all but mm. org chart. In the org chart, they might report into them, but they're just reporting into them for a functional sense, not for actually that person is giving them guidance on what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, you know, you'd like to probably see, like, Richo seems like he's a good coach. Under an international model, you might find a a different player, a different person sitting in that that role where everyone reports into, and they would be the one responsible for the list decisions that were made. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about, but um, unfortunately for Richo, that's not what we do. And over here, the the pressure falls fair and square on the coach's back. Yeah, you're right. Um, the last club is Port Adelaide. They're currently sitting, um, or were sitting in 10th. Um, I think with the win, um, they might have jumped up a little bit. Yeah, they jumped up in a 7th. Um, so, good on Port. Yep. Uh, but Port Port are always under pressure as well. They're in a two-team town. Um, they've teased us for a while. I think a lot of people thought that they were going to fly up when they had those couple of years early in Hinckley's reign um, where they were making finals and um, I remember they knocked off Collingwood it would have been probably 20 would have been Bucks's first year under um, or maybe Bucks's second year um, but they I think that was before Hinckley though no that was when Hinckley was coaching um, so they Bucks's first year was what 2011 yeah so Bucks's first year they finished fourth so it's Bucks's second year um, so Hinckley's been coaching for that long really wow um, but either way, Hinkley's um, one of those players that's under pressure. I mean, one of those coaches that's under pressure. People that are under pressure. Um, it, just because the list. I mean, it, it really depends whether, like, if as a club they believe that Hinkley is the right coach, then they should understand that with the amount of changes they've made in the last twelve months, that 
he's not under any pressure, really. He's just got to keep these young guys performing, which they are. Yep. Um, but if they are of the, of the belief that this was uh, one year trading out and bringing in some youth uh, to balance the, the salary cap, and then in the next two years they're going to really be challenging, um, then, yeah, he's under pressure. Yep. Um, well, I think just naturally because last year was poor, he's under pressure for that. And I think that'll carry through probably into next year. Although this year, the way he's got the team to perform and the injuries and the key players they're missing um, is, you know, exceptional the way the team's performing. And they they don't look disjointed like they looked last year. Yeah, you're right. So I would I would take that as, you know, that's a massive improvement and, and that should release a lot of the pressure. Yeah. Sorry, my dog's just going nuts in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then probably, I mean, to... In Hinkley's defence probably doesn't help that David Koch, um, for a president, is a very outspoken and polarising um, person. Um, he speaks his mind, and and that's great. And and you know, you as a supporter, you love when uh, coaches are honest. But sometimes I feel as if he drifts between fan and and club leader. Yeah. And and because of that, he says things that will just drop pressure on specific players or the coach or different parts of the club. Now, uh, he's a very smart man, David Kosh. I'm sure he's doing it for a reason. But uh, sometimes I wonder, like, has he has he genuinely thought about the fallout here? Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time when Hinkley had one year left on his deal and they were pushing for a new deal and Gold Coast were looking for a new coach. And Hinkley obviously has a tremendous connection there. He was an, an original assistant up there under Bluey. And and realistically, you know, you could go up to Gold Coast and you haven't got someone breathing down your neck every week um, like Koshy. And it wouldn't have surprised me if Hinkley turned around and said, no, I've had enough of this. I've been questioned in public. And, and I think in the last few years, he's toned the rhetoric down a fair bit, which is good. But at the same time, that that's... You know, there's pressure on him to keep himself in, you know, not in line, but to, I guess, make sure he's always publicly supporting the the club in the right way um, and not putting unnecessary pressure back on the playing group and and the coaching staff. Yeah, it's just that, like, you want to make sure that that person has your back, really, because if you're a player in Port Adelaide, you want to know that the president, when he's going out there speaking, um, is speaking as one of you rather than as as you said a fan like an angry fan about something that happened rather than being able to put that aside and go I manage these guys I'm mm. part of the club I mean the, the player that's under pressure really and hopefully he gets back um, pretty this soon weekend. yeah pretty soon is um, Charlie Dixon um, so big Charlie um, probably came over on pretty reasonable money um, and is just struggling to get the body right in the last 12 months so Really hope, uh, probably for Port Adelaide's sake. I mean, he's a very good player when he's up and running. Yeah. Um, and if he can get on the park uh, after their bye and play some reasonable football over a couple of weeks, then Port Adelaide are a chance, really. Dixon um, helps shape their side because it'll mean that Westhoff moves up to a wing yeah. uh, rather than playing in the forward line where he's looked a bit lost this year. And um, yeah. yeah, it's well, it's a huge thing. Like, Charlie Dixon's incredibly important to their structure. Um, they kind of have built their whole side structure around a big key forward. Their game plan's built around it. And you see Paddy Ryder's up there at the moment. Um, and they're playing Todd Marshall as the second key and, and Westhoff in there as well. Um, and it's it's probably, without having Dixon there, it's it's been to the detriment of the others. Um, because I don't think any of them have been used to having the attention they've copped. Yeah, none of them. None of them are hulking forwards. Yeah, none they're, of them. They're, are just they're, they're all tall. They're all very tall, athletic, athletic forwards. But none of them are hulking forwards. Too and much the same, and not enough of the other. And and Dixon, yeah, like well, he's coming back this weekend. Hopefully, he gets through his first match in the Sandful. Um, probably won't see him next week after Port's by, but maybe in two more weeks. Um, from all accounts, he's been doing a lot of running. Um, so he's he's meant to be quite fit. So we just hope that that can mean he gets back because I think it's really good to see when when the interstate clubs can get up. Um, 
like it's been good like we had Adelaide a few years ago which was you know the team to beat and then Richmond went and beat them uh, which was kind of good to watch as <laughs> a guilty pleasure depends um, who you are I never think watching Richmond win is good to watch <laughs> yeah well I did I enjoyed it um, but yeah like I mean you know it's a national game and, and these sides being strong is, is incredibly important and you know Dixon for Port Adelaide is is key for their for their kind of um, forward ball movement and and just imagine your boy Connor Rosie sitting at his feet as uh, as the ball's coming in and he's crashing a pack. Well, Connor Rosie's really mate the only reason this club's turned around. Oh. Um, he's single handedly uh, dragging them all forward and um, he's an absolute star. So uh, I think that they should all really be. Um, Thanking you for picking him as the well, best player in the draft. P- potentially um, making him the new president, pre- president and player, just with it, such as his ability. Premier um, of South Australia, while you're at it. Yeah, exactly. Give him the keys to get. Give him the keys to the state. Um, <laughs> he's just he's a star. I love him. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks again for tuning in, guys, to the Under Pressure podcast. We do have a couple of, as we've been alluding to, uh, a couple of interesting podcasts coming up. So. Uh, do stay tuned and uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks guys, have a good weekend. If you constantly worry that the worst is going to happen, you're not alone. One in four Australians will experience anxiety. No one anxiety is talking. Visit Beyond Blue to start a life beyond anxiety.